0: Jesus said, I have come that you may have life and have life to the full. God created you for abundant life. He longs for you to experience contentment, rest, joy, a life of creativity and generosity and fullness. But of course, abundant lives don't just happen, they have to be cultivated. And we are who we are, for better or for worse, through our habits. Uh, We become who we are, for better or for worse, through our habits, through the things that we do over and over again. So what habits are shaping you? Throughout the centuries, Christians in many places have cultivated what's been called a rule of life. And the word rule means trellis. And this back here is a trellis. If you've been watching carefully, there are some vines creeping their way up the trellis. You can check it out after the service. But a trellis is a structure, right, that allows a vine to grow upwards and and to bear fruit. And a rule of life is a set of habits and boundaries that we construct so that we too can flourish and be fruitful. So this winter, we're examining our trellises. We're slowly replacing our toxic and destructive habits with healthy habits that lead to abundant life. Habits like embracing our limits practicing Sabbath, learning how to be present to God and present to other people and present to ourselves. Every week, um, I hear stories from you about habits that are nurturing you, that are giving you life. I love hearing those stories. If you have a story to tell, if you have a habit that is helping you to experience God and more abundance, we'd love to hear your story. And so I invite you to to record a video of yourself, just like 10 or 20 seconds long, just explaining what your habit is and the impact that it's having on you. And we may play it during the service on April 2nd. All the information you need about how to submit that is in your bulletin. We live in a world that is uh, increasingly shaped by technology and where the line between human and machine is getting blurrier and blurrier by the day. So how do we stay human in such a world? One of the best books I've ever read on this topic was written fairly recently by Andy Crouch. It's called, The Life We're Looking For, Reclaiming Relationship in a Technological World. That book, which I highly recommend, and which is listed in your take home, uh, has certainly helped to inform this sermon. I'll be sharing some ideas and quotes from that book with you today. But how do we stay human in a technological world. Before we can answer that question, we need to ask a much more fundamental one, which is, what does it mean to be a person? What does it mean to be a person? Christianity teaches that a person is created in the image and likeness of God, which means that we were uniquely designed to reflect God's glory at creation. Human beings are given the job of caring for and cultivating the garden. The first commands are to create families and create culture, to be fruitful and multiply, and to serve creation so that all life flourishes. So a person is created to work, to cultivate and create and bring order out of chaos. But there's more. First John 4.16 says, We know and rely on the love God has for us. We know experientially, not just intellectually, we know experientially and rely on, which means lean on to the point of vulnerability, the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. What's John saying? He's saying that a person is created for love. Isn't that good news? You weren't created to dominate or to acquire things or to be comfortable. You were created to love and be loved. And love is not sentimental gush. Love is giving yourself For another's good. Self giving love is the essence of what it means to be a person. After God rescued the Israelites from slavery in Egypt, and while they were still in the wilderness, He spoke these words through Moses Deuteronomy chapter 6, beginning in verse 4 Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. In other words, supersaturate your lives with God's word. Train your minds, fill your hearts, tend your souls, deploy your strength in the art of knowing God's love and loving him back. An abundant life is a life permeated and saturated with the love of God a love that captures and engages your whole person, body, mind, soul, heart. Your heart includes your emotions, your passions, your compassion. It's the motivational center of your being, what you love, what you desire, what you aspire to. Your soul is your unique self, the part of you that was designed to to know God, and to trust and delight in him. Your mind enables you to think, to reflect, to interpret, to analyze, discern, and decide. Your mind is naturally curious from the very first days that we're alive. We wonder about the world, we wonder about other persons. Your body is equipped to engage the the world physically, in a holistic way. It enables you to apply effort and exertion, agility, speed, strength, gross motor, fine motor skills to your work, to your play. Our bodies allow us to embrace one another. An abundant life is a life that engages the whole person in a dance of vulnerability and trust, joy and delight, work and play, love and service. So how does technology pose a threat to our personhood? Well, for most of history, human beings have made tools. Tools are technologies that help us to accomplish and create things. We invented a plow and a yoke so that we could grow more food. A cart and a wheel so that we could transport stuff. A chimney so that we could stay warm and not asphyxiate ourselves. A tool is something that leverages human ingenuity. A piano is a tool that helps us to produce music. A paintbrush is a tool that helps us to create works of art. A printing press is a tool that helps us to share our ideas with one another. A camera is a tool that helps us to capture a moment in time. Tools are incredibly powerful. But tools still depend on human effort. They still depend on discipline and ingenuity. All those aspects of our personhood. We wield a tool. But we're the one wielding the tool, you see. A tool amplifies human skill, not just in agriculture and art, but in science and medicine. Think of a a telescope or a microscope or a stethoscope, an MRI machine or a microcatheter. Tools give us the ability to leverage our capacities, but they depend on human effort. Now, we still make tools, of course, but the modern world has introduced something new. Devices. Devices and tools have a lot in common, but they have one major difference. Devices promise effortless power. The difference between a tool and a device is the difference between a bicycle and a combustion engine, a sailboat and a motorboat, a washboard and a washing machine a scrub brush and a dishwasher, a fireplace and a furnace, a broom and a Roomba. (laughs) Chances are your home is filled with devices that dramatically reduce the amount of work that's required to manage and maintain your home, which in turn gives you more time to work outside of the home and more time for leisure. Chances are most of us don't wanna go back We enjoy our washing machines, but devices are not neutral. Effortless power always comes at a cost to our personhood. It takes tremendous effort to learn how to play the piano. It takes no effort at all to ask your smart speaker to play Vivaldi or Taylor Swift. Now both will bring music into your home, but only one requires effort of heart, soul, mind, and strength. The promise of technology is effortless power. Alexa and Google promise us knowledge without learning. We have AI now that can write articles, book reports, and even sermons with nothing more than a human prompt. Major journalism institutions have already begun experimenting with AI-produced content. Video games promise rush without risk. Social media promises recognition and influence without the hassle of having to navigate relationships with real people in real life. The ability to craft an image, gauge our status and standing with others and feed our insatiable appetite for dopamine without actually having to encounter another person. Technology promises power without effort, knowledge without learning, rush without risk, influence without vulnerability. But there's a trade-off. Andy Crouch says, technology gives us superpowers, but only if part of us doesn't come along for the ride. Think about flying on an airplane. This is a really unamazing thing. Not only does an airplane enable us to defy gravity, it can move us across this continent in five hours. Do you remember the first time you flew in a plane? It was magical, wasn't it? You wanted a window seat so bad. You couldn't take your eyes off the world as it sprawled out underneath you. But eventually the magic wore off, didn't it? You closed your window shade. You disappeared behind a book or a screen or tried to fall asleep. Most people, they're honest, would say that they hate flying. You can't really access your stuff when you fly. You're confined to that tiny little seat. You pretty much have to give up all of your freedom in order to experience the magic of effortless travel. With a bicycle, there's no such trade-off. On a bicycle, you are fully engaged and you can choose your own adventure. I love to run. I love to push myself to my limits, see how fast I can reach the end of a 5K. I love feeling the wind around me, the rhythm and the cadence of my steps and my breath, the flow that I experience throughout my entire body. Even the burning muscles, the pounding heart, the gulps of air, the exhaustion is always a good exhaustion. I'd rather go for a run than fly on a jet any day. When I run, I feel like a person. I feel alive. When I fly, I feel like cargo. A non-participant in the magic that brings me from A to B. Technology is great for maximizing efficiency. It's not always great for being a person. Can you really compare the experience of playing Farmville on your phone to eating a freshly picked tomato from your garden? Or playing Madden on PlayStation versus throwing a touchdown to your friend at a park? Yesterday was Ev's 15th birthday. We celebrated over dinner with family and friends. After dinner, everyone took turns sharing a favorite memory or something that they love or appreciate about Ev. There's no amount of likes that will ever feed Ev's soul like that experience did. I'm not anti-technology. I'm merely making the observation that every superpower comes at a cost. A cost to our personhood. Of course, that's not how devices are presented to us. They're always presented as this no-brainer, slam-dunk proposition. Now you'll be able to do this, and you'll never have to do this again. Now you won't have to wash dishes, dishes or sweep the floor or play an instrument. Now you can sit back and relax and listen to any song you want on demand. But of course, there is another side to the equation. Now you'll no longer be able to say to someone, you wash, I'll dry. <laughs> and be present to them while you do the dishes together. Now you'll no longer be able to know the joy of creating music if you only consume it. Now you'll have to pay a higher electricity bill and replace the batteries and upgrade your devices every few years and pay the monthly fee. There's always a trade-off. Technology promises us power without effort, without risk, without vulnerability, but ironically it leaves us quite often feeling bored, listless, anxious, disconnected, alienated. We expend far less effort and enjoy far less leisure, far more leisure than our grandparents did. And yet somehow we're more tired. And we're more bored than our grandparents were. Why? Because power without effort does not lead to abundance. In fact, it threatens every dimension of our personhood. It makes our hearts anxious. It makes our minds numb. It makes our bodies fat and our souls restless. Our device-filled world has left us more lonely and isolated than ever. Remember the film, WALL-E? WALL-E painted a picture of a degraded humanity that's starting to feel far less dystopian and far more real by the day well-off humans, disintegrating into helpless, shapeless flesh globules who've lost the ability to create, think, or have real relationships. We were told that power without effort, without risk, without vulnerability would make life better. Does it? If I live most of my social life online, do I actually feel more connected to people? Do I experience more belonging, deeper intimacy, deeper joy? The average teen spends seven and a half hours a day behind a screen. The average 11 to 14 year old averages nine hours a day. Health experts say that screen time should be limited to one or two hours a day. Young people, have you ever asked yourself, what do you want out of life? How do you feel after scrolling through TikTok for an hour? When do you feel fully alive? When are your heart, soul, mind, and strength fully engaged? The psychologist Jeannie Twang is one of the leading experts when it comes to understanding how uh, technology is impacting the lives of American teenagers. Her book iGen reveals that anxiety, depression, self-harm, and suicidality among American teenagers exploded right around 2012. What happened in 2012, that was the first year that more than 50% of American teenagers owned a smartphone. Jonathan Haidt and others have shown a strong correlation between heavy social media use and a whole variety of negative mental health outcomes. This shouldn't surprise us. You were not created to live behind a screen. You were not created to spend hours every day scrolling through reels, editing photos, crafting stories, and chasing likes. You were created to work and to play, to create and delight, to love and be loved with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Your devices were not designed to meet those needs. Your devices were designed to numb you and exploit you. John Mark Comer writes, remember, your phone doesn't actually work for you. You pay for it, yes, but it works for a multi-billion dollar corporation in California, not for you. You're not the customer, you're the product. It's your attention that's for sale, along with your peace of mind. Parents, I know it's hard. I know, it, I know it feels like you're against the world. I know the relationships you want to protect and the fights that you want to avoid, but we only get one crack at this. There is no do-over button. The most loving thing you can do for your kids is eliminate, postpone, or set real limits on the technologies that diminish and threaten their personhood. That erode their capacity to create and play and feel and imagine and experience vulnerability and love. Your kids will never ask you to do this and yet they desperately need you to. If you need information or tools, please reach out to me this week. I would be more than happy to point you in the direction of where you need to go. Effortless power, no matter how magical, cannot deliver an abundant life. Because an abundant life is one in which every single part of you is engaged, heart, soul, mind, strength, in a dance of creativity and vulnerability and love. If this is true, and I think more and more people are realizing that it is, why then does technology, especially the kind of technology that diminishes our personhood, Why does it carry such weight and influence in our world? And the answer is that technology serves mammon. What is mammon? Jesus talks about mammon in the Sermon on the Mount. He says you cannot serve both God and mammon. So what is mammon? Mammon is a false god. Mammon is a power and principality that transcends nations and economies and cultures. Mammon is money in search of power. Mammon is covetousness. Mammon is economic exploitation. Mammon is power without love. Mammon is poisoning a community's water supply or exploiting children to save on production costs. Mammon is spreading lies and stoking fears because that's what sells. Mammon is exploiting children for advertising dollars. Mammon is a $100 billion pornography industry built in part on the backs of the victims of human traffic people. Andy Crouch says that we cannot serve both God and mammon because their aims are precisely opposed to each other's. God wishes to put all things in the service of persons and ultimately to bring forth the flourishing of creation through the flourishing of persons. Mammon wants to put all persons into the service of things and ultimately to bring about the exploitation of all creation. Why does this matter? It matters because technology serves Mammon. And mammon serves the bottom line. The question is rarely, how can we help human beings to flourish? Most of the time, the question is, how can we monetize this technology and maximize profits? Even if it comes at the expense of our hearts, souls, minds, and bodies. Even if it makes us lonely and disconnected. If outrage is what sells, then by golly, we'll sell outrage, even if it helps to bring about January 6th. There's a growing list of former big tech pioneers who've chosen to opt out. If you've watched The Social Dilemma, you've heard from some of these people. One of the architects of YouTube, the inventor of the like button, the person who created the news feed, and countless others who have chosen not only to leave their jobs in these high-tech industries, but to leave the platforms altogether, and in some cases, leave the grid. Jaron Lehner, a computer scientist and virtual reality pioneer said, we've created a world in which online connection has become primary, especially for younger generations. And yet, in that world, anytime two people connect, the only way It's finance is through a sneaky third person who's paying to manipulate those two people. So we've created an entire global generation of people who were raised within a context with the very meaning of communication, the very meaning of culture is manipulation. This isn't some critic. This is an insider. This is an architect. This is Mammon. So how do we stay human? How do we break free from mammon and the world that it wants to create that is so hostile to persons? How can we jam the culture and build abundant lives that honor one another's heart, soul, mind, and strength? Well, first we need discernment. The Apostle Paul talked a lot about discernment. One of the places he talked about it was in his letter to the early Christians in Philippi. He wrote, this is my prayer. That your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. So that you may be able to discern what is best. And be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. What's he saying? He's saying that part of loving well is discerning what's best. Love involves approaching persons with insight into their deepest needs, coupled with a willingness to help meet those needs. So, parents of newborns constantly hold and rock and talk to and sing to their babies. Why? Because that is what a newborn baby needs in order to flourish. What would it look like for you to interact with your family and friends, your coworkers or neighbors, the person who makes your coffee and bags your groceries in ways that remind them that they are a person with a heart, soul, mind, and strength? and develops well-formed maturity in you. This is an incredibly important verse for us as we think about our relationship to culture and technology. Does this device help me to align my life with God's priorities or mammon's priorities? Does this device bring out the best in me And help me to blossom into a well formed person? Or does it reduce me to a mindless consumer? Is this technology a tool that will enhance my effort, that will leverage my creativity and strength? Or is it a device that will over time diminish my capacities to create? How will it affect my relationships? How might it tempt me to reorient my priorities and invest my time differently? Will it spark joy to steal from another guru? Or will it become a mind-numbing addiction? When it comes to technology, we could all stand to be a little bit more Amish. The Amish aren't anti-tech. They just submit technology to a process of discernment. They ask questions like, what are the trade-offs? Who knew that the home air conditioner would eliminate billions of conversations between neighbors who used to sit out on their porches after dinner and shoot the breeze? How will a TV impact the way the members of our household interact? Are we using Alexa or is Alexa using us? Should I wear earbuds when I'm around other people? How might a smartphone impact my 12-year-old's development? Should I keep my phone in my bedroom at night? Discernment might look different for different people because we all have different temptations. We all have different vulnerabilities. My concern and Paul's concern is are we even asking the questions? Are we inviting God into the conversation? Or are we naive enough to think that these technologies are neutral and won't have any impact at all on our personhood? Because that is the height of naivete. Who dictates what devices we buy and incorporate into our lives? The market or the Holy Spirit? So we need discernment if we're going to stay human. We need a community, what Peter Berger calls a plausibility structure. People in our lives who are asking similar questions, who are guided by similar values, who are setting similar priorities. We need a shared rule of life, a shared vision of what an abundant life looks like and and shared habits for pursuing that life. For example, do we want our kids to have a play-based childhood or a device-based childhood? A play-based childhood is going to be a lot easier if we have a network of families that are pursuing the same goal for their children. This winter, I, I heard an interview with a teenage girl who suffered a mental health crisis that was brought about by an Instagram addiction when she was in middle school. In ninth grade, she decided to get rid of her smartphone, and she founded um, a club at her high school called the Luddite Club. And she began to find other students who were eager to turn their backs on toxic tech and pursue a more embodied life together. So every week, they gather with their flip phones. (laughs) And they go to a museum. Or they go to a park together and they encourage one another to keep jamming the culture so that they can live a life that's worthy of their humanity. Not too shabby for a ninth grader. Finally, we need to create more than we consume. What do you spend your leisure time doing? Have you ever audited yourself? Could you take a week and just write down what you do with your free time? How long you do it? At the end of the week, look at your list. How much time did you spend exercising your heart, soul, mind, and strength? Through creative or physical expression or spending time with people? How much time did you spend consuming what other people create? There's nothing wrong with watching a movie or listening to music or buying a pair of pants. The question is, do we have a balanced diet of leisure that accounts for the fact that we are persons created in God's image. Justin Whitmell early suggests that we limit our media consumption to four hours a week. Not eliminating it, but limiting it. If you could only consume four hours of media a week, I bet you would be really thoughtful about what you consumed. You are not a consumer. You are a person with an extraordinary capacity to love and create, cultivate, and nurture. Before Jesus began his public ministry, he went into the desert to fast and pray for 40 days. While he was there, Satan came and tempted him. Enough fasting, Jesus. Why don't you turn these stones into bread? You know, Jesus, you've lived in obscurity long enough. Why don't you throw yourself off of the highest point of the temple over here and show the whole world how you can command angels to catch you? Ah, forget the cross, Jesus. Worship me and you can have all the nations without any suffering at all. What's Satan offering Jesus? Effortless power. Power without risk, power without vulnerability, power without sacrifice. And Jesus resisted him. Why? Because effortless power cannot save the world. In fact, it would have destroyed Jesus and the whole world along with it. Because abundant life requires risk, vulnerability, and sacrifice. Love requires risk, vulnerability, and sacrifice. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you made us in your image to wonder and seek, to create and cultivate, to love and be loved, and yet we feel the temptation every day to live a life of effortless power, to become passive consumers, increasingly alienated from our bodies, from our souls, and from one another. Help us to fight this temptation. Help us to find our joy as we exercise the amazing capacities that you gave us. And to love you with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.